Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word, especially at your gospel today, we ask that you would touch our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would renew us, show us things, Lord, about ourselves, Lord, that uh, we would be brave enough to, to look at and accept, Lord, and that we receive all that you have in your word for us today by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus asked his disciples who the people were saying he was, they told him, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. You know, John the Baptist had already been slain by Herod, and it was probably superstitious Herod who had started that rumor about Jesus. Elijah, on the other hand, Scripture tells us had never died. He had been taken up in a whirlwind. Another scripture said that Elijah would come back before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So Jesus, being Elijah, may have been an interesting theory for some of those people. And finally, one of the prophets could have meant any prophet, perhaps even a new one like John the Baptist. But it seems that no one in the Gospel of Mark was even speculating at this point that Jesus was the Messiah or the Christ. No one except for his disciples. And I suppose they had their reasons. The last person that the people had wondered that about had been executed. Of course, that was John the Baptist. And the Gospel of John seems to indicate that there had been an interpretive tradition of Scripture, perhaps uh, built from Scriptures in Zechariah and Isaiah and, and the Psalms, that no one would know where the Messiah was from. And of course, everybody knew where Jesus was from. And they knew his family. They knew his town. Remember, Nathaniel had commented, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And beside all that, Jesus was not publicly proclaiming himself to be the Christ at, at this time. And he was calling himself the Son of Man, just as the prophet Ezekiel had been called. Still, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? They knew. And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Now we might think that somewhat strange until we see what is next. Strange that he told them not to tell anyone that. Until we see what is next in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Verse 32 says he spoke this word openly. So why would Jesus speak of his suffering, his rejection and his crucifixion openly while 
concealing his identity as the anointed Messiah or the Christ? Well, it was because suffering and dying for the world's sin was what Jesus came into the world the first time around for. He didn't come to rule as the Christ the first time around, though he was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, this is the halfway point about in the Gospel of Mark. And the disciples who left all to follow Jesus had already been through a lot with Jesus. They had seen many, many supernatural things. But this is the first time that he told them that he was going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. What a shocker that must have been. I doubt if they even heard the rise again part. And where would that leave them? Where would that suffering and death leave Jesus's followers? Likely in the same place as Jesus, if it was true. In other words, they would also be suffering many things and being rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and being killed. So it's time for them to count the costs here and to reconsider perhaps. Well, Peter, the rock and the leader of the others was likely thinking that what that with that statement, Jesus was potentially creating an irreversible problem for himself and for this group of his followers. So he discreetly took Jesus aside and he rebuked him the way that any good mortal who who was looking out for his superior and, and for his organization would have. I think he wanted to help Jesus save face here, help him get back on the track after showing a slight sign of weakness. But Jesus bucks off his arm and violently turns his back on Peter, rebuking him loudly in front of the others and in the worst of ways. Get behind me, Satan. Ouch. Kind of overkill, no? Well, no, if you think of it this way, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends on earth and he was telling Jesus that he didn't have to die in the way that Jesus was describing, which Jesus knew was his God-given mission. And if you think of it, it was similar to Jesus's temptation in the wilderness by Satan. And for sure, Satan was using Peter's ignorance and his care for Jesus to tempt Jesus to reconsider here. So Jesus addressed Satan first and then Peter. Peter had been ignorant of Jesus's total mission until this time. And even now, Jesus didn't tell him why 
he must die, why Jesus must die, i.e. for the sins of the world, Jesus simply told Peter that he was not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. In other words, he was carnal. And if we consider that same portion of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, it really seems crazy. Because there Jesus had just said to Peter in the same context, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he goes on, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the king, keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's from Matthew 16, 17 to 19. So that's an incredible um, thing that Jesus said to Peter. But we ask, how could Peter in one breath say something that was revealed to him by the Father and in the next breath, speak against a revelation from Jesus. Actually taking Satan's side. But we must also remember that this was Peter pre-redemption and pre-Pentecost. And what Peter was doing here was selfish and it was dangerous. What was it about Jesus and his words that poor Peter didn't understand yet? Well, he didn't understand how high they actually were. And of course, he should have known. He had been with Jesus when he exercised authority over evil spirits. He had been with him when he taught and when he healed many, many people, when he forgave sins as only God could, when he raised the dead, when he calmed the sea, when he fed 5,000 and 4,000, when he walked on the sea. So what happened here? Why did Peter rebuke Jesus? Because the Christ in Peter's mind was still, even after all that, only the anointed Messiah that was to rule Israel an anointed mortal, not God himself. And that would remain Peter's thought until Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter could say like Thomas, my Lord and my God. But before that, instead, Peter, a mere mortal, had rebuked Jesus, in rebuking what Jesus had stated, Jesus, God's Son. Jesus' words, of course, are truth and they stand forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus' words will never pass away. That's what he said in Matthew 24, 35 and Luke 21, 33, and that is the truth. And Peter didn't understand that quite yet. Peter did understand that Jesus was God's chosen and anointed 
Messiah, and Peter was very glad to follow along for the ride upward till he was acclaimed as such. But he didn't understand the rest, and so Jesus speaks this clearly to make these things understood. Verse 34, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There it was. Again, time for all of them to reconsider. But whoever would turn back now at the cost of this, at the cost of following Jesus to their own deaths in order to save their own lives, Jesus said would end up losing their life. So you might say these followers of Jesus knew too much already. And guess what? So do we as his followers today. Knowing too much can be dangerous. Even in Christianity, we are accountable for what we know. That's why. And Jesus goes on. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So Jesus here let everyone who was already his disciple and everyone who was considering becoming his disciple know that being his disciple is dangerous. Being his disciple would cost them something. He was telling them that there were rough times coming ahead. Self-denial in preference for Jesus and his future kingdom was and is what Jesus was talking about here. Self-denial in return or in exchange for eternal life with him. And self-denial is not simply self-control. You see, in self-control, it is you that retains control. But self-denial is giving God control of your life. And you are not saving your own life or your own soul in self-denial. God is. But the choice still has to be made by those who consider following Jesus. And it's not an easy choice, even though, as Jesus showed them, eternity is in the balance. Well, what is the choice about? It is a choice between getting your way in this temporal world for a while or gaining your eternal soul. Verse 36, Jesus says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. 37. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So it's a choice over self-dying love for Jesus and following him as Lord or not. Are you willing to give your life and all your life choices over to Jesus, 
even when it means you're suffering? That is the question here. Well, Jesus goes on and he reiterates his preeminence and the preeminence of his word, saying this in verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. For whomever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Well, who might we be ashamed of Jesus and his words in front of? Other men, yes. Other people who do not, do not respect Jesus as Savior and Lord. People who don't agree with us about who Jesus is. People who are against Jesus ruling over them. And because uh, they see you as someone who does see him as Lord over all, they see you as their enemy as well and, and may think less of you because of your belief and your submission. And our egos don't like it when people think less of us. There's another way we can be ashamed of Jesus and his words, and that is when we don't agree with them and therefore don't readily submit to them in our own lives. It's like a parent who tells us we have to do something for our own good and we don't believe it. The difference, of course, is Jesus is perfect when parents are not. Now these words come to us when we read a scripture. They come to, to our memory as the Holy Spirit brings them back to our minds sometimes in certain situations. We know what these words of Jesus are. And we must, if we are his followers, agree with them and submit to them. It's not easy, it never is. And you know, Peter and all of Jesus' disciples failed him, failed him in this regard, especially right after his arrest, just as Jesus told them they would. When he had told them that they would, of course we know um, all of the disciples followed Peter's lead at that time and denied that they would. Peter said he would lay his life down for Jesus and to Peter's credit, he proved that he was willing to die for Jesus by drawing his sword and striking the high priest's servant when they came to arrest Jesus. But we know the story, Jesus would not allow Peter 
to die for him on Peter's terms, only on Jesus's terms. He told Peter to put up his sword. And then later on, when Peter saw his beloved hero being bound and abused, he was overcome with debilitating fear. Seeing Jesus, his leader, not exercising his power and authority when he could have made Peter ashamed of his association with Jesus. What had happened? Well, what had happened was Peter and the others back in Mark 8 and later on had never actually consented to what Jesus said was going to happen to him back then. They had never consented to Jesus's words about his suffering and his crucifixion and had never consented to their own self-denial, their own taking up their own cross and following him. They never consented to the cross and they were therefore ashamed when their leader submitted to it, even though it was his father's will for them. Of course, they didn't understand it all, but that did not excuse them fully because they didn't want to even go there in their minds. Mark 9.32 says, they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask Jesus to clarify it because they did have an inclination of what it meant and they didn't want to go there. Well, I ask you today, is there something that Jesus has said to you that you don't understand but are afraid to ask him, are afraid to go deeper with? Don't do that. I encourage you, ask him. Take that trip of self-denial. It'll be well worth it. Like it or not, the cross is God's will for us today as much as it was for Jesus' disciples back then. No, we cry out. No, Jesus submitted to the cross, so I don't have to. And Jesus rose again uh, from the dead, so from then on, it's all power and glory. No, it's not. There is suffering and death for Jesus' saints even today. All power and glory will come as he said it will, but not in this life. So don't fool yourself like Jesus' disciples, ignoring and suppressing the words of Jesus to you. Don't be upset when your hero doesn't rescue the reputation that you claim for him and save you from suffering. 
I'm going to close with some quotes from Basilia Schlink, her book, Let Me Stand at Your Side. I recently came across this author and who was uh, working during uh, World War II in Germany and continued a ministry afterward. And I'll add my thoughts in, the, in between these quotes. She wrote, without consenting to the cross, one cannot be steadfast in the hour of trial. Jesus prepared to meet suffering by surrendering his will to the Father, whereas we, who are mere created beings and sinners, suppress the possibility or fact that suffering could enter our lives. This we do when we reject the cross, that it could possibly be God's will for us. Jesus wanted the cross and suffering because he knew that it was his Father's will and he gave his consent to it. When Jesus was arrested, his disciples' support was taken from them. They felt robbed of his security because it was a false security that they had built. They didn't have security in his death. They had security in what would be his kingdom. And thus they were all paralyzed with grief and distress and despair because they had not consented to the cross. If they had consented to it and made their committal beforehand, then Jesus' words, and on the third day the Son of Man will be raised, would have been in their hearts and they would have been consoled in their suffering, knowing that Jesus' suffering would not be the final outcome. Today, our no to suffering still has serious consequences. It causes us to forsake Jesus in the very situations that call for loyalty. Do we realize the sin of escapism, of unwillingness to suffer, leads to addictions and all kinds of bondage? What a grief it must be for Jesus to see that we would time and time again offer our hand to Satan, his adversary, in our reluctance to follow him, to follow Jesus in undergoing suffering. Peter's love was not pure. It was egotistical and filled with self-pity. His love for himself and his dread of suffering was greater than his love for Jesus. Is not ours the same? Let's pray.
Lord God, we, we thank you that though we come up short in our love for you, in our love that is not pure, you come and you pour, purify our love by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that the same, same Jesus who died for Peter died for us. The same Jesus who forgave Peter forgives us and purifies our love as he did Peter's. When we submit to him and we, when we embrace the cross, when we embrace his will for us, even in suffering. We do thank you, Lord, that we, we know the end of the story. The disciples didn't have that privilege. Yeah, even though you had told them you would, you would rise again, they didn't understand it because they didn't want to understand what your death meant. Lord, we, we know the end of the book. Lord, we know that you rose and that you ascended and that you reign on high. But teach us, Lord, what it means for us to carry our cross today and to embrace it, to embrace your will. In Jesus' name, amen.